Well, welcome. We're glad that you're here this morning. Yeah. I want to say uh, thank you for coming. If you're in Brighton, uh, y'all, it's a great honor that you chose to be with us. If you're a, if you're a guest with us, uh, we don't take it lightly that you chose to be here on a Sunday morning to give of your time. So we're greatly honored that you chose to worship with us this morning. And for many of you, you have no idea who, who I am. And that's okay. That's all right. I'm not Brad. Um, that's, a, that's a good thing, I think, for some of you. You're going, yes, we're going to get out early. Uh, yeah, I know you all too well. Um, but ultimately, my name is Colston, and uh, I am the uh, campus pastor for our Grozeal location, for our Grozeal campus. And yeah, I see some uh, familiar faces, but uh, yeah, it's an honor to serve with you. I also serve as our community groups pastor, so I oversee uh, a lot of uh, the, the activities and small groups that meet off campus. And uh, man, it's just an honor and a privilege to, to be able to share with you this morning God's truth. Um, I'm excited because Brad gave me an opportunity to do this. It's not every day that he lets some redneck from East Texas get up on his stage. Um, now, I, for some of you, you're thinking, redneck from East Texas, um, where's your boots, your buckle, and your really tight jeans? Well, uh, I'm not that kind of redneck. But I did grow up out in the boonies in the middle of nowhere, uh, so I know what it's like to uh, not have any friends, and your best friends are animals, okay? Um, I, uh, I don't have a huge, thick accent. Uh, I, th- I fought that accent all my life. I didn't want to be heard, and I didn't want people hear me thinking I was uneducated because I talk funny. Uh, but you will hear some words uh, that you're not used to hearing. Uh, I'll throw out a few y'alls here and there. Um, I don't know that I'm doing it, but I will. Um, every now and then I'll say dadgummit, and uh, that's not a cuss word. Um, in case you have young kids in the audience this morning, uh, it's okay. That's not a bad thing, bad word. Uh, but it is a pleasure to be here. Um, I'm, I have the opportunity to continue in our series called Look. Uh, last week, Justin kicked off this series called Look, and he talked about the idea of looking up, about the importance that you and I have as we're looking up to Christ for him to change and transform us in our faith, that in that process we should be looking up towards other people, that we should be looking up toward those people who have already been to where we're at and learn from their mistakes, to gain knowledge and wisdom from them. And I encourage you, if you missed last week's talk, would you do me a favor? Would you go to northridgechurch.com and click on the link in the top right corner that says On Demand and watch that. It'll be worth your time. But this morning what we're going to do is we're going to take this idea of looking from a different perspective. Justin talked about looking up, and today we're going to talk about this idea of looking down. And each and every one of us, no matter where you're at in life, the, the truth reigns that we've all been shaped and influenced by other people, have we not? That at any juncture in life, God has put people in our past that have crossed our path and changed us, and shaped us, and molded us into who we are. A large part of who I am as a human being, as a father, as a man, has been because of the influence of other people in my life. And the same is true for the majority of you. Uh, Justin even talked about last week how his dad played one of the major roles in his life. That his dad taught him about faith, taught him about cars and hunting and some of those other things. And I recognize in a crowd this size and the random people that may be watching online as well, we don't all have that same story. We don't all have the same story of where our family are the people that influenced us. For some of you, uh, it was friends. Friends have played one of the biggest influences in your life. For some of you, uh, that's historical figures. You're big into reading and learning about people from the past and biographies. They've shaped and molded you. For some, it's the television and the the things of entertainment that have influenced you. But we all have those people. And see, for, unlike Jordan, uh, Jordan, Justin, I didn't have a father that I learned all about life from. I didn't have the privilege and the honor of, of learning what it was like to be a man from him. Sure, I learned some good things. My dad, uh, my dad taught me how to snap. That's an important life lesson. Especially now that I have a two and a half year old. Comes in handy. My dad, he taught me how to whistle. Uh, at girls and other things, the dogs, you know, all kinds of stuff. Uh, my dad taught me how to tie my shoes. My father taught me a lot about sports and how to, to be a team player. I learned how to be a soccer player, a baseball player, a basketball player from my dad. I learned uh, some valuable lessons from him. But the thing is, at the age of 10, um, my dad was killed in a car accident about a mile from our house. And as you can imagine... 
as a 10-year-old, it's a challenging experience. I missed out on a lot of things that I think my dad had to offer. You know, I didn't get to grow up learning from his mistakes. I didn't have the honor and the privilege of learning what it was like for him to do stupid stuff and me avoid those mistakes. I didn't have the privilege of learning what it was like to be a man for my father. Like I said, he gave me some important advice. I mean, some, some very good practical wisdom to live by. I remember one time, again, we lived out in the boonies in East Texas. I mean, my closest neighbor was a mile away. We were out in the sticks, okay? And we had this house that set up on a hill, and we had a wraparound porch, and it overlooked the pastures and the hills and the trees. It was a gorgeous setting. And I remember this one time he took me out, and he said, Son, let me tell you something. He said, Never, ever pee into the wind. Fair. Good advice. For some of you young men, can I tell you, don't pee in the wind, all right? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. I can honestly say that I heeded his advice, and I learned from his mistake, I'm assuming. <laughs> now that I have two girls, I have no idea how that applies, but we <laughs> we'll see. But I also remember this one time he took me out on the front porch, and again, with that big wraparound porch, he had this huge this huge rocking chair. This is like that king's, like I'm a man on the throne kind of rocking chair. And he sat down and I sat down in that little kid rocking chair right next to him. And he said, son, let me tell you something. He said, no matter what you do in life, no matter where you go, no matter what happens, he said, son, always treat your mother like she's a queen. Treat your mother like she's a queen. And then someday when you get married, he said, son, treat your wife like a queen. He said, in fact, treat all women like they're queens. That's something that stuck with me. I mean, that was 18, 19, 20-something years ago. He shared that wisdom with me. And now that I have two daughters of my own, treating women like queens, has a whole new impact, a whole new meaning. Even though my dad was gone before I wish he would have been gone, God saw fit to intersect my life with other people to teach me other things. I learned a lot about faith from other people that God had put in my life. My mom is one of the greatest influences in my life when it comes to faith. I watched what it meant to be faithful to God in the midst of chaos and turmoil. I, I learned from Miss Peggy. She was my Sunday school teacher. I learned a lot about the Bible from her and flannel graphs and puppets. It's amazing what this and this can teach you. I learned a lot from her. I, in high school, as you can imagine, without a father, my youth pastor played a huge role in my life. He didn't adopt me as like his own son or anything like that, but you know what he did? He played ping pong with me, and he beat me a lot, and he made sure that I knew I was no good, but he did it in love. But what my youth pastor did for me is he taught me what it was like to have a faith in Christ that went beyond just a church setting, but my faith, how it was to intersect life, school, friends, teams, sports. Then later on in life, God saw fit to put someone else in my life, a, a pastor friend, who just poured into me about what it's like to, to love people, to serve people, to invest, to be a pastor. Then even more recently, God intersected my life with a very dear friend named Stephen, who he just poured into me. He saw that something wasn't right in my life, and he just invested each and every one of us, we have those people in our lives that have poured into us. And I recognize that even today, some of you, some of you are in this faith journey and you're just here checking the whole church thing out. Like this isn't something that you do regularly, but man, for some reason, for what, whatever it is, you are here. You don't really understand the whole Jesus and the relationship thing, but you're here. And you have not had anyone in your life who's looked down and poured in and invested into you. And my prayer is that as a church, that you would come around here enough that the people that call Northridge home, that they would live their faith in a way that would impact you. That if you haven't had someone pouring into you and passing the baton of faith to you, that there's people in this room, in this setting, this place, this faith family, that will invest and then pour into you. 
so that someday when it's time that you take your faith and you pass it to the next. But each and every one of us, we've had those people teach us about tying our shoes, how to snap, how to treat people. But one of the things I want you to hear is that, that when it comes to faith, people are the, are the very thing that God has used to pass the baton of faith to the next generation. That people have always played a major role in this idea of transferring faith from one generation to the next. God's plan from the very beginning, the time sin entered into the world, God has always used people to transfer faith to the next generation. Now, hear me on this, though. Faith is not one of those things that, like, you just, like, you give to somebody. It's not like a $20 bill that you hand over for someone's birthday. Faith isn't something that you wrap up into a present and give at Christmas. That's not faith. Faith is this idea of, 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 being, uh, of living things out in order to influence other people. Faith is trusting in, in Christ when there seems like there's no reason to. Faith is having hope when everything seems hopeless. Faith is that thing that gives you, it has peace within you when all, there's chaos all around. That when the turmoil and the, and the storms of life crash down on you, that you still have joy within. That's a faith. Faith is one of those things that you just don't hide and keep to yourself, but it's something that's supposed to be lived out. It's supposed to be public. Again, faith is something that is to be modeled and lived out in order to influence others. And hear me, if you don't live it, you can't give it. Jesus said it like this in John chapter 13. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus said this, that if, you're gonna, if people are going to know about me, if people are going to understand what I've done by going to the cross, if they're going to place their faith, hope, and trust in me, then guess what? It's going to be because of other people. It's going to be because of you. You are going to have to live your faith so intentionally that you're going to love other people. And that's what's going to attract, and that's what's going to draw others in, is that you live by faith. The, the thing I want you to see is this, is that people are the primary conduit for the transfer of faith. That people are the primary transfer of the primary conduit for the transfer of faith. That God uses individuals. Jesus said that for his disciples, people that are going to know about me, it's because of you. And the thing is this, is this, is, this truth existed when Jesus taught it. It exists today, but it's also existed for all of history. See, the children of Israel were God's chosen people. And God had always had, had this in mind, this desire to have this people that was going to be his, that he could bless, and that other nations would come and serve God alone because of their faith. But the thing is this, just because God has always desired to use people to influence and pass faith down, can we just be honest enough with each other this morning to say that we're not always the best participants in God's plan? That even though God desires to use you and I to pass faith to our neighbors, to our kids, to our family members, we don't always play a great role in God's plan. At the core, the reason being, we're selfish. Are there any selfish people here this morning? Some of you in Brighton, I know you're selfish. We're selfish. And because of that, we don't play well with God's plan sometimes. That's exactly what happened to the nation of Israel. God's chosen people, the people that he wanted to bless and make a great nation out of, the people that he was faithful to all throughout their history, constantly and continually forgot about his faithfulness and turned to selfish ways. See, the nation of Israel spent 400 years in slavery. And God chose Moses to get them out. And Moses goes to the Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And eventually, after some painful situations and circumstances, they're able to leave. And God says to them, he says, look, if you'll be faithful to follow me, you'll be faithful to stay obedient, then I'm going to bless you. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. He says, I'm going to make you and put you in a place where you can prosper, where you can grow in a land flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take care of you, he said, but you have to be faithful to follow and faithful to be obedient. So the children of Israel, they get out of slavery and they go right up to the, the edge of the promised land. They get there, and Moses sends 12 spies into the land. As the 12 spies go, they do the reporting, take their notes, and they come back. Ten of the 12 said this, Moses, that land is wonderful. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a prosperous land, Moses, but here's the problem. There's an enemy there. There's giants in the land, and I don't think we can take them. I don't think we can do this. 
That was 10 of the 12. Two of them came back to Moses and said this. He said, you know what, Moses? There's, the land is awesome. The land's flowing with milk and honey. There's all kinds of stuff there for us. There's giants in the land, Moses. There's an enemy there. But Moses, God promised it. And our track record says that God is faithful. That God doesn't go back on a promise. So what those two spies said was this, let's do it. Let's go for it. However, the ten, the ten without faith, influenced a great majority. They said, we can't do it. The giants are too big. There's no way. And so ultimately, remember what God said. If you're faithful to follow, faithful to be obedient, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bless you. Because of the lack of faith of that ten, influenced the lack of others, the nation as a whole didn't have the faith to move forward. So God says, if you can't follow me and you can't be obedient, guess what? Take a hike. And they did, literally. God sent them into the desert for 40 years to wander around, to figure it all out, to wait on him. At the end of that 40 years, they're about to go into the promised land. They've served their time, their disobedience, and they're right about to go into the promised land. And Moses, their fearful leader, shares a, a history lesson with the nation of Israel. They've spent 40 years wandering, and he wants to remind them of God's faithfulness. So Deuteronomy chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, it's a history lesson. It's reminding them of all the times that God has been faithful to come through. That every time that a situation felt like it was impossible, God showed up and made it possible. That every time it seemed like that things didn't, uh, were chaotic and that there was no peace, God showed up and brought peace. Now, every time that something happened and they thought, this is the end, it's over, God showed up. He reminded them of that. And then Deuteronomy chapter 6, right before Moses dies, he says this. These are the commands and decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you were crossing, the Jordan, to possess, so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping his decrees, commands that I give you so that you may enjoy a long life. Here, Israel, be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God, your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Listen to this, verse five. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commands I give you today, they're to be on your hearts. Then verse 7 says, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as a symbol on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Moses reminds the nation of Israel of all of God's faithfulness. And then he gives them this command, this decree to serve God, to stay faithful, to follow him. Why? Why was it such a big deal? So that, it go well, so that it would go well with them. That they may prosper. That God may make a great nation. And ultimately, because of God's faithfulness, other people, other nations would come and be a part and participate in what God had for them. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Remember, there's only one God, so love him. And this is important. He says this right before they're about to enter into the promised land. So Moses, he dies just like any human being does. The nation of Israel loved him. He was a great leader. And right before he, right before he dies, he passes the leadership baton on to this guy named Joshua. Joshua, he was one of the two spies that came back and said, God's promised that he's faithful. He'll give it to us. Moses hands the baton and Joshua takes it. And Joshua crosses the Jordan and takes the children of Israel out into the promised land. And as he's out in the promised land, they begin conquering the enemies that are there. The giants in the land, they take care of business. Why? Because God's faithful. And they begin to experience. It wasn't all peaches and cream, you know what I mean? It, there were some challenges. And Joshua, just like anyone else, he ultimately dies. In Judges chapter 2, verse 10, this is the passage that Justin read last week. And it's kind of the, the thesis, the, the, the culmination of what we're all talking about, what, we're so, what so disturbed us when we were preparing for this series. Judges chapter 2. It says this, After that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forsook 
They served their Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors who had brought them out of Egypt. It says they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. Then notice what it says. They aroused the Lord's anger. Can I tell you this just as a, a practical piece of advice? If there's someone you don't want ticked off at you, guess what? It's him. Like if you don't want to make somebody mad, God's probably one at the top of your list you don't want to tick off. But what I wanted you to see is this, that it says after this, after that whole generation, that means right after Joshua died, there was an entire generation that didn't know God's faithfulness. There was an entire generation that grew up that it says it neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And I want you to understand, this is very important to the story. From Deuteronomy chapter 6 to Judges 2, from Joshua, from Moses dying, passing the torch to Joshua and Joshua dying, that's not like a whole bunch of hundreds of years. Depending on which historian you read, what you see is that that's between 30 and 50 years. That's not a lot of time. So what you have is Moses, one of the greatest leaders of all of Israel, says, hey, look, don't forget all of God's faithfulness. He's done this, he's done this, he's done this, he's been faithful. Be sure to be faithful back. Follow him, stay obedient. And then within 50 years, Joshua dies, and there's a whole generation that has no idea how faithful God is. There's an entire generation that doesn't know what it's like to trust God in the midst of chaos and turmoil. And what happens in the middle of that? It says this that they served other gods, that they were an entire generation that aroused God's anger. Why? Why did this happen? Because there was a generation that knew God's faithfulness, but they had failed to look down to the generation that was coming up behind them. There was a generation that knew God's faithfulness, and they knew his hope, his peace, his joy, but they did not take enough time They didn't get out of their selfishness and realize that there's another generation coming that desperately needed them. See, here's the thing. It's really easy for us to judge them. I I find myself saying, golly, bum, man, you guys can't even, you can't even hang on for like 30 to 50 years? You can't even pass down the fact that they crossed the Red Sea? That God hooked them up with manna every day? You forgot that? He did it for 40 years. What's your problem? It's really easy to be judgmental. But if I'm honest, I'm not a whole lot different. Like if I'm just honest with myself, my faith hasn't always been lived. My faith hasn't always been an intentional faith, looking down at the next generation, looking at who I need to pour into. And I, I would bet if some of you are honest with yourselves, Your faith hasn't been lived in a way that's influencing or impacting other individuals. For most of us, for a lot of us that call ourselves Christ followers, we just do the church thing. If we're, just be honest with yourself, we just do the church thing. I mean, we're really content about becoming spiritually knowledgeable, but in that process, we've never impacted a single individual. For some of us, We come in, we do the church thing, we sing a couple songs, we maybe throw a dime in the plate, something like that. But we're so busy trying to get out of here so we can get in line at the restaurant before it's an hour wait. For some of us, we come in, we do the church thing just to make ourselves feel better, you know, get a little pep top for the week, and then we bounce. We're out. We're trying to avoid all the strollers and all the people and the parents with kids. We're just, just be honest. For some of us, you know what we do? We have a faith that's so private and, and so personal that it's never made an impact on an individual. Our faith has been so secret and unknown by the people around us that most don't even know that we're Christ followers. If you're like me, you grew up in a generation where my mom said there's two things you never talk about. You know what those two things are? Politics and religion. You just don't talk about them. That's how I was raised. And some of you, it's the same way. You've lived your entire life as a Christ follower. You've lived your journey as a following Jesus in secret. No one ever knows. And what's so terrifying is that if that's the generation of Christ followers we have right now, then Judges 2.10 is the reality that we face before us. 
that if we live our faith in secret, if we live our faith without being intentional, then there's an entire generation that's going to grow up and they're not going to know what it's like to trust God. There's an entire generation that's not going to know what it's like to have hope in the midst of a situation that seems hopeless. There's an entire generation that's not going to know what true, lasting peace is when everything chaotic around them happens. There's going to be a generation that has no idea how to have joy when their happenings aren't very good. Can I tell you this? That generation, that's your kids. That's some of your grandkids. That generation that's going to grow up not knowing the faithfulness of God's that's my kids. Why? Because instead of us being conduits of faith, influencing waking up this world to Jesus, we're slowly becoming a group of people whose faith doesn't change anything. Why? Because it's private. It's closed off. We don't talk about it. Can I tell you this? Faith that doesn't change and transform is no faith that I want to be a part of. Faith that doesn't change and transform, that's a faith that our society and the people around us, they don't want anything to do with that. Can I just be really blunt and honest with you this morning? A faith that hasn't changed or transformed you is not the type of faith that Jesus calls us to. See, when your life intersects Jesus and you place your faith, hope, and trust in him, when he crosses your path, he changes you. Now, that's a process. That's a journey. But he changes you. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the old is gone, the new has come. There's a new creation here. Because when the faith in Christ, when you intersect him, things change. And that's true of this guy named Paul. Paul, one of the greatest Christians, one of the greatest missionaries, one of the greatest influence on Christianity uh, of the known times, didn't always have a faith. He wasn't always this rock star. In fact, when Paul started his life, he hated Christ. He hated the church, and he hated it in a way that he did everything in his power to make it stop, to the point he was willing to kill other people to make sure that the church didn't succeed, to make sure that the gospel didn't go out. But then one day, Paul was on his way to Damascus, and Paul had his Damascus Road experience. Christ intersected his life. And in that very moment, Christ gave him a new meaning, a new purpose, And I want you to understand this, that before Paul became this great, incredible Christ follower, this huge influence on Christianity, Paul had something very important happen into his life. Acts chapter 11, it says this, Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The reason I read this, and obviously it says Saul, One of the transforming things that God did for Saul was change his name to Paul. But what I wanted you to see more importantly was this. Is that before Paul became this huge influence in Christianity, there was this guy named Barnabas. Barnabas went and purposefully sought after Paul. Why? To look down, to pour into, and invest in him. That before Paul became this huge, great missionary, if you read Galatians chapter 1 and some other things, historians will tell you that Paul spent up to three years under other disciples, allowing them to pour into and invest into his life. And as he matured in faith and as he grew in faith, Paul then took his purpose and his meaning in life very seriously, and that was to spread the gospel to the Gentiles. And in the process of Paul becoming this great missionary, this great evangelist for the gospel, Paul does something very intentional. The reason we talk about Paul today, the reason that Paul's legacy still lives on is the way that Paul lived his life. The way that Paul intentionally lived out his faith in front of other people. I I want to show you something. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. It says, when Barnabas and Saul finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. Acts 15, it says this, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers of the to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Paul lived his life by faith intentionally, constantly and continually looking down to see who it was that he could invest in. Every trip, every church that went, Paul went to to plant, everywhere he went, he had someone with him that he was taking along, pouring into, investing into. 
He had John Mark for a season. He had Timothy. He had Titus, Silas. Paul always and intentionally was investing into the next generation. Why? Because he knew that at some point he was going to die. That if the gospel was going to continue, if Christianity was going to spread, that it wasn't going to just rely on him. That he had to invest into the next generation and teach that generation to invest into the next. I'll prove it. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is what Paul says. He says, And these things, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. Paul commanding Timothy, he said, Timothy, everything that you've experienced with me, you've been on all these journeys with me, you've taken these trips, you've heard me preach, you've heard me teach, you've heard me invest into your life, you've heard me do all these things, everything that you've witnessed, Timothy, I want you to be very, very intentional about your faith moving forward. Timothy, I want you to take your faith and I want you to find reliable men that you can share everything you've learned with them. Don't hold it in. Don't make it all about you. Don't keep it a secret, but find reliable men. Why? Why reliable men? So that that, those reliable men could go and teach others also. Paul poured into Timothy. Timothy to reliable men. Reliable men to others also. And if those others also, if, if the reliable men did it right, those others also poured into another generation and another generation. The reason we have the New Testament church in a large part, yes, God's hand was upon everything, but remember, he always uses people. God used Paul to pass to Timothy to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. But can I tell you this? Judges 2.10 tells us this, that if we fail as Christ followers to go to the next generation, there's going to be an entire generation that doesn't know God's faithfulness. That Paul lived his life intentionally, always looking down, always looking to, the, to who it is that he can impact the most. Who it is that he can pass that baton of faith to. Each and every one of us, like I said earlier, we're here in a large part because of the investment of other people. See, the fact that I'm even on this stage today is the testimony to an individual named Stephen. See, two, two and a half, almost three years ago now, I went through one of the darkest, most challenging seasons in my life. I've been through some junk. But spiritually speaking, everything that I thought to be solid and, and, and secure in life was crumbling out beneath my feet. Anybody ever had that experience? The, the, the things, the comfort that I had grown, to, grown accustomed to, I was quickly becoming uncomfortable you ever been in those times and seasons of life where you're going, just God, where are you? God, I, I'm doing all the right things. I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, I'm worshiping, I'm going to church, but God, I, I feel so alone. You been there? That was where I was two and a half years ago. Ministry is not all fun and games, contrary to what some of you may think. Yeah, it's cool to get up and speak occasionally, but can I tell you this? It's not like we play golf every three or four days, you know, it's not like we're hanging out, it's work. And I was just in a season of life, spiritually speaking, I was in a desert, I really was. I walked in the door one day to, to, uh, to the church I was at, and Stephen, he didn't know me, but he could tell something wasn't right. And so you know what Stephen did? He looked down, and he saw me, and he invested. He prayed with me. We ate together. We laughed together. He shared scripture with me. He showed me truth. But one of the most valuable things that Stephen did for me was that Stephen showed me what it was like to stay faithful to God in the midst of my desert. Why? Because Stephen had been through a desert. He shared his desert experience with me. And can I tell you this? That his was a lot worse than mine. So I knew that God was faithful. I knew that God would carry me through. Can I be honest with you? I did not want to do ministry anymore. I did not want to be this pastor guy that helped and served the church. I didn't want to do it. I was over it. But because of Stephen's investment in my life, I was reminded of God's faithfulness. Yeah. Stephen played such a huge role in my life. But can I say this? If we're going to wake up the world to Jesus, listen to me, if we're going to wake up the world to Jesus, if we're going to influence the next generation for Christ, then our faith has to be lived out in a way that we're constantly looking down. 
We can't have these secret agents for Jesus. We can't have these people that just come in and do the church thing and then leave. There's too much at stake. There's too much that hangs in the balance. There's too many kids, too many students, too many marriages that are hanging in the balance because somebody needs to invest in them. And I understand, for some of you, you're sitting here going, this isn't me. There's no way that I can invest. I don't have anything to offer. I'm not the right age. I don't have enough life experience. Can I tell you, that's hogwash. In Texas, that's horse pucky. Don't let age be a determining factor whether or not you're going to invest in somebody. Paul said to Timothy, he said, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. For some of you, you think you're too young to invest. Can I tell you that's not true? About seven months ago, I got a call from Stephen. And I could tell that something in his voice wasn't right. I could tell that something just, it wasn't there. And what he did is he explained to me that his dad, Stephen's father, was diagnosed with ALS about seven months ago. I don't know a whole lot about ALS, but what I do know is that there's no cure. And Stephen's dad fought for six months and lost his battle with ALS. So when I found out, you know what I did? I looked down. I saw that there was a guy who's going through something that I've already been through. So I called him up, and I prayed with him. I cried with him. I shared some scripture with him. Just tried to comfort him. I didn't let the fact that I was younger than Stephen keep me from investing and pouring into. Age isn't a thing. So whether you're 15, whether you're 50, or whether you're 85, you have something to offer. Some of you, you think you can't invest because, you know what, you have nothing to offer. How many of you in this room have regrets? Anybody have a regret? Some of you are liars. You're not raising your hand. Just being honest. We all have regrets. We've all made mistakes. Can I tell you this? That your regrets, that there's a generation behind you that hasn't made the same decisions that you've made. And they're just waiting for you to share it with them so that they don't have the same thing. 2 Corinthians, it says like this, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That's all I did for Stephen. I'd been through something. I knew what it was like to see a, a spouse lose their spouse and grieve. I knew what it was like to see a mother lose her son. I'd been there. All I did was love on him, share scripture, share truth, pray for him. If you have a regret in your life, can I tell you this? You have so much to offer. For some of you, those regrets come in marriage. You've made some major mistakes in your marriage. Can I tell you this, that there's other men and women who potentially are going to make the same mistakes you did if you don't do something about it? For some of you, your greatest pains have the ability to pull people right out of the pit that they're in. They're waiting on you. For some of you, I want you to hear this. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to be an investor of people. You don't have to have all this scripture and all this understanding of God's truth. You don't have to have that all down. What I find interesting is that what Jesus did is he didn't send his 12 disciples to seminary before he said, go change the world. Now, Please don't hear, I'm not hating on seminary. I went, I've got my degree, it's important. But you know what Stephen did? Stephen, you know what Jesus did? Jesus did life with them. He ate with them. He cried with them. He shared scripture with them. You know what I bet bet Jesus did? I bet Jesus went fishing with them. A lot of them were fishermen, it just makes sense. Jesus simply did life with them. Remember what we said in John chapter 13, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if what? If you love one another. One of the greatest things Jesus did with his disciples, he showed them how to love. We have to invest. We cannot allow our age and our experience and our lack of the the truth of this to keep us from looking down to seeing who it is that we need to pour into. So let me ask you this morning, 
Let me just, let me just be just really blunt with you. Are you living your faith in a way that impacts the next generation? Are you living your faith intentionally, looking down at who it is that you can bring up? Let me say it like this. Parents, are you living your faith out in front of your kids and your children so that they know what it's like to trust in Jesus? To have peace and to have joy? Mom, dad, is your marriage so transformed by your faith in Christ that your kids know what it's like to have a healthy marriage? Hey, students, do the kids on your team and the kids in your class, do they even know that you love Jesus? Do they know that you claim to serve the God of this Bible? Do they? Do the people at your workplace, do they know, are you living your faith intentionally and purposefully in a way that influences people saying, I want that. I want the peace. I want that hope. I want that meaning. I want you to remember what's at stake here. Judges 2.10, an entire generation that didn't, didn't know God or his faithfulness. And I recognize that today, again, some of you, you may come to this understanding that you don't even have a faith to pass down. That, that you have thought you were this Christ follower, that church is something you've always done, but at the core of who you are, you've never been transformed by the power of Christ. And because of that, you have no baton to pass. And if that's where you're at this morning, thank you for being here. But do not walk out of those doors without making a, a decision today. At the very end of our service, our prayer team is going to be down front. And if you realize you don't have that baton of faith to pass, will you come down here and make that decision today? What I want to do real quickly, though, before we go, is I want to show you what this looks like practically. So if you guys would, watch this video. I just want to show you real quick. I'm going to pick some volunteers over here. Let me show you what that looks like from early on, all right? And, and just we'll, we'll kind of work this thing out. Come here, young man. What's your name? Colton. Colton, all right. Here's how this would be. Colton is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And uh, we're walking together. That's a timeline. We're just walking through life together. Colton, you're a good man. You're handsome. I love the way you play hoops, man. You, you've got some awesome moves. Now, I want you to be careful up here. There's some sharp rocks, and there might be some rattlers out here, okay? You got it? So we're going to walk together for a while, but be careful. And, Lord, I ask that you watch over Colton, keep him safe. God, I just release him into the fullness of his calling. And I release Colton right here. Now, he went from a boy to a man. And then when they're a man, you can't hold on to them anymore. You've got to release them, all right? We, we get to steward a young life for about 18 years, and then they build on that foundation for half a century. They're not ours. We're just stewards. So I've released him into his future, and he's going to carry on. Well, what am I supposed to do now? How about golfing? How about fishing? Maybe for a few minutes. And then get back about the father's business. And I go, hey, here's my next son. Come here, buddy. Come here, buddy. What's your name, son? Graham. Okay, Dad's forgetful here. <laughs> we'll be okay. This is Graham. And Graham, you're a good man. I appreciate your smile. I appreciate the way that you've cared for some of the elders that I've seen you around. That's impressive. Now, one of the things I want you to be careful of is, is there's a river down here. There's some danger out here. Maybe some rattlers. But I know you've got what it takes. So, Father, bless Graham as he moves on into the fullness of his calling. So here's this teenager, maybe early 20s. I release him, all right? Man, I still got vitality. I still got life. I'm going to get me another one. Who is this young man? Isaac. Isaac. Isaac is not of my loins. He is not a natural son, but he, he needs a dad. I got time. I can go gaw, I can hit a little white ball, I can go catch a fish, or I can spend time with this young man. And if I go play golf or I go fishing, he's going to. He's going to because I'm going to teach him the things of life. Son, I have uh, appreciated so much how you've been joyful. You've been helpful. You've actually volunteered around here to help out. That's impressive. You're a handsome guy. God's got a great plan for you. So we, and we've done this warning thing, and I release him into the fullness of his calling. Now, these guys have moved on into life. And they're taking ground, man. They're doing awesome stuff. 
for the Lord. They're having their own families. They're moving on. They're growing, starting businesses, ministries, and so on. And I come back, and I'm looking for that next one. And I just go, you know what? I just, I don't, I'm old. I don't have it anymore. I, I can't, I can't do another one. And uh, I got to write a passage myself. Our life's a vapor. We're just here a short time. And I kind of hate it because I got to go by myself. But I poured into the next generation. I poured into them. And the scripture says that their hearts are going to turn back to me. And look what happened. They helped me make it across. They helped me make it across. Yeah, guys. Good job. All right, go back and take your seat. Excellent. That's how it's supposed to work. There's no generation gap unless we allow there to be one. And I'm telling you right now, there's over 24 million fatherless just boys in America alone, let alone the rest of the world. And we're going to do something about it. We're going to be the ones that say, we'll go get them. We're going to start where? Our own home, extended family, and then we're going to go looking. And we're going to go find the ones that need us. We implement the power of a plan and focusing on the next generation, we change the world. That, uh, that video is very personal to me, uh, mainly because I was one of those 24 million. And I always wondered what would have happened had my youth pastor not been faithful to his calling. I've always wondered what would have happened in my life had he not been there to play ping pong and smash me. I always wondered what would have happened had Miss Peggy not stepped up and taught Sunday school. I'd always wondered what happened if Stephen hadn't been at that place in life when he was there. And I wonder, I wonder who hangs in the balance for you. I wonder who's waiting on you to look down, to pour into and invest. I wonder who is waiting, desperately in need of what you have to offer. Because if we fail at this, if we miss the boat on this, there's an entire generation that doesn't know the faithfulness of God. There's an entire generation that grows up without hope. There's an entire generation that doesn't know God's peace his joy, his comfort, his meaning, his purpose. It hangs in the balance. I hope you feel the weight of that. So the question is, what do we do? I have a solution or part of one. Take out your programs, will you? If you're in Brighton, take it out right now. Thank you. There's a connection card. Tear it off. On the back side of that connection card, it says this. I'm ready to volunteer in. See, as a church, we understand the importance of investing into the next generation. So we work extremely hard to provide environments for you to do so. I know some of you, you're sitting there going, man, I'm ready to invest. I want to pour in, but nobody's running after me. Nobody's coming to me and wanting the wisdom that I have. Can I tell you this? Barnabas took after and found Saul. Jesus purposefully went after his disciples. So if you're sitting there thinking, eh, They're not coming to me. They're just an arrogant, prideful generation. You are absolutely right. We are. But so were you. And if you're sitting there thinking, well, no one's coming to me, here's your solution. Go to them. That's what Paul did. That's what Barnabas did. That's what Jesus did. For some of you, it's time for you to step up. We've created this environment called Discovery Island. That's where my girls are. That's when they spend time. That's where some of your kids and grandkids are. There's an entire staff and program and volunteers dedicated to investing into the next generation. Some of you, you need to get off your blessed assurance and get involved in something. Just being honest with you. That there's an entire generation waiting. Who hangs in the balance? We have a student ministry staff who's given their lives to serve selfish junior high and high school kids. I did student ministry for five years. It's hard work. Can I tell you this? For a lot of you, those regrets that you raised your hands happened in your teenage years. 
I wonder what would happen if you invested into some of the teenagers right now before they made the same mistakes you did. I wonder what teenagers are hanging in the balance, whether they stick with church or if, like statistics say, 80, 75 to 85% walk away after, after high school. I wonder who hangs in the balance waiting on you. For some of you, those first few years of marriage were absolutely horrendous, but God was faithful, and you stayed faithful, and you've made it through. Maybe you need to volunteer and step up to be a mentor couple, to love and to serve. We've got couples getting married here at Northridge Church all the time. You know what they need? They need an older, wiser couple to love and serve on them, to pray with them, to do life with them, to show them truth. Maybe you need to do that. For some of you, you've been through recovery, and through that entire process of recovery, God's been faithful to you, and you've been faithful to him. But there's others who are just beginning that journey, and they desperately need you to show them how to be faithful through their recovery process. Maybe you need to volunteer and sign up and to be a part of our care ministry. That every level of this church, we're working hard to provide these environments and settings for individuals like you to invest into the next generation. The question is this, are you? Or is your faith private? Is it personal? Are you living it in a way that doesn't impact anyone? Remember, your kids hang in the balance. Your grandkids hang in the balance. Let's do something. Let's take a step. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your faithfulness. God, all throughout history and even today, you prove yourself faithful to us even when we're not faithful to follow. God, thank you for your love and your forgiveness in those times where we do our own thing and we're selfish. Father, forgive us for those times for, for being quiet about our faith and not allowing it to transform us and change us. And God, my prayer is that individuals that call Northridge home, that have a relationship with you, God, that they would be intentional with their faith, that they would look down and pour into that next generation. That we wouldn't just be consumers, God, but that we would be investors. May you raise up the next generation to love you, to serve you, to be faithful. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory when you do it. Father, we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before you leave, like I said earlier, some of you, you don't have a faith baton to pass. Our prayer team is going to be down front. Don't walk out of those doors without making that right. Take that connection card as you filled it out and drop it into the boxes on your way out, the same as in Brighton and all our other regional campuses. Can I challenge you this morning, live your faith intentionally. Invest in the next generation. You guys have a great week.